Welcome to the February 6th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, and the sermon is entitled, The Place and Face of Thessalonica, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to take your Bible. We're going to start a new sermon series today in 1 Thessalonians. I want you to turn your Bible there in your New Testament to 1 Thessalonians, the first page of it. We begin this series in your New Testament, you're going to find two letters to the Thessalonians written by the missionary Paul, and he's writing to a very young, inexperienced, brand new church of baby Christians in Thessalonica. Now, before we dive into the scripture of the book, let me give you some background. This is absolutely key to any study of any biblical passage. You need to know where it comes from and the background of it. That's why the title today is The Place and the Face of Thessalonica. Where did the church of Thessalonica come from? It's an interesting story, and the story is contained in the history book of the New Testament, which is the book of Acts. So if you want to read about it, I'm going to give you some uh, references today. You can backtrack me and read about the coming of the church of Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his mission team are on their second of three missionary journeys. And he's on the continent of Asia. He's on the country that we would understand right now as the country of Turkey in the region of Galatia. Now this is his familiar, this is his home region, this is his stomping ground. So Paul knew this area very well. And they had preached the gospel in a a trek across Galatia. And he finally comes to this point of praying, okay, Lord God, we have come this far, where do we go next? Where's the next stop for the mission team? Where are we to travel next? And God is silent. Paul doesn't get any direction for the next step. God doesn't answer immediately. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, Scripture says God forbids the team to move. So they're not supposed to travel at all right now. God is silent. God is saying, wait on me. Don't move until I give you instruction. So as as Paul prays, I want you to know, Paul is not a waiter. Paul does not like to wait at all. He's a man who wants to press forward in the ministry and the mission of the gospel. But God wasn't giving him direction at this moment. And finally, Acts chapter 16, verse 9, God speaks. The great missionary Paul gets a vision in the night given by God. And the vision is a man who is standing on the shoreline of a place called Macedonia. And the man is motioning, come help us, come help us here. And so it's a major move, as I explained this scripture to you, the man of Macedonia motioning by God's direction for Paul and his mission team to come there and to help with the gospel. But Macedonia is not local at all. In fact, Macedonia is not even on the same continent that the mission team had been working on. They'd been working on the continent of Asia, and Macedonia is the continent of Europe. So we have two different locations for the gospel of the living Lord. In fact, Europe is an untouched land, a pioneer land. Perhaps many in Europe had never even heard the name of Jesus. And yet the man of Macedonia, the vision, is motioning for Paul to come to a brand new continent to bring the gospel there, the completely unreached pioneer land. So God tells Paul and his team, move, here's where you are to go. Paul immediately obeys. The great missionary gathers his team, Silvanus, Timothy, and others. He gathers his team. 
puts them on a ship, and he sails across the great sea to the next continent next door. Now, in our terms today, he's moving from the continent of Asia, the country of Turkey, across the Aegean Sea, and he's landing on Europe in the country of Greece. So it's about a 100-mile sailing trip to get to the new continent of Europe to take the gospel of Jesus Christ there. So Paul sails. He gets there. The ship docks. The first city they come to after they dock on the continent of Europe is the city of Philippi. And if you remember, as we have already studied the letter to the Philippians, Paul finds a group of women, and they're praying. It's in Acts chapter 16, verse 13. They're praying, and Paul leads one of the leaders of the prayer meeting, Lydia, and her entire family to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he continues to minister in Philippi, others come to Christ. Paul leads the first group of Christians to become the nucleus of a brand new church in the city of Philippi. This would be the mother church, the Philippian church, the mother church of all the churches that would come in Europe. It begins in Philippi. Paul would have loved to have stayed there and pastored them for a good bit, but while in Philippi, Paul and his mission team come under hatred of Jews who hate the message of Jesus Christ. And if you read the account in Acts, Paul and his team are beaten and imprisoned and almost killed because of their mission journey in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're run out of the city of Philippi. Now, given the human condition, most of us, if we were beaten and almost killed because of our journey in Jesus Christ, we say, you know, that was hard. I think we'll just go home. I don't want to risk that again. I don't want to risk prison again. I don't want to risk another beating. Think, team, let's just tuck our tails and go on home. But not this team. When they are run out of the city of Philippi, they say, let's go to the next city. And the next major city on the route is the city of Thessalonica. That's where we're going to be for the next few weeks, the city of Thessalonica. A huge city in that day, 200,000 people there. In fact, modern day, there's only 300,000 people there now. So in the ancient day, this was a huge city. And as Paul and his team come into Thessalonica, according to Acts 17 now, verses 1 and 3, Paul goes to the Jewish synagogue there, and for three weeks, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people are saved. There are Jews in the city who are saved. There are Gentiles and Greeks of the city who are saved. There are important women of the city who are saved. And Paul takes that little group of Christians, and he forms a church there, the church of Thessalonica, it was made up of people who probably had never even heard the name of Jesus. But when he preached the gospel, they were hungry to know of the forgiveness of God and his plan for our life. And they accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Paul took that little group of brand new, baby, green, immature Christians, and he founded a church there. His hope and his desire would be to stay there and to pastor them and to grow them in maturity for a time. That was his way that he worked. He stayed at Ephesus for a long time. But he couldn't stay in Thessalonica either. Again, angry Jews rose up against him and his team, and they ran him out of the city of Thessalonica. So in two instances, Philippi and the next city, Thessalonica, they're run out of the city. They're persecuted. They are beaten. They're imprisoned. And they're run out of the cities where they had founded the churches. But as they were run out, they left the church behind. 
They left the presence of Jesus Christ in the city of Thessalonica in that brand new Christian church composed of people who had just come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So here's the situation of our study as we begin 1 Thessalonians today. Paul is writing to a brand new church of brand new Christians in Thessalonica, baby Christians. Paul would have loved to have stayed, but he was run out. He and his team were run out of the city, and under the threat of death, they simply could not stay. So Paul writes back these two letters of direction and guidance to this little baby church so they would understand how to serve Jesus in their setting. It's important that you understand that. That's the history of the study as we delve into First and Second Thessalonians. And if you really want to understand these two books of the Bible, you have to understand what I just told you. A brand new church in a very wicked city with very little guidance, brand new Christians feeling their way in the name of Jesus Christ to be a ministry in that big city. And these two letters are sent by Paul to give them guidance and to encourage them and to lift them up. Now, here is another point I want you to take note of. The church at Thessalonica, not meeting in freedom like we are today. Our doors are swung open to the world. We stream to the world. We're open that the world might see. These people had to live under the radar. These people were under the threat of imprisonment and being and death every single day simply because they loved Jesus, simply because they wanted to be a ministry in their, in their community. But they lived under that shadow and that dark cloud of punishment every day as the church in Thessalonica. But even under the pressures... Even under the threat of death, they continued on. These baby Christians, it amazes me, these baby Christians carrying on in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul uses these letters to build them up and to encourage them. And he says, church, don't give up. Even when the way is hard, even when the punishment is at your front door, don't give up being the church. Don't give up on Jesus Christ leading you, loving you, empowering you to serve him in your setting. So in these two letters, as we study them in the next weeks to come, we're going to see Paul support and comfort this little congregation who's living in hard days. He's going to tell them that they have a, a great courage, and he is jo overjoyed at the courage that this young church is living. He's going to condemn laziness in the church. He's telling them, you can't be lazy. Get up and get about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't hide your faith, even in a dangerous situation. Don't be lazy with the gospel and with ministry. And then he also stresses moral purity in the church. We're going to study that. He presses godly living upon those Christians. You cannot stray away from living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that you've committed your life to him, you carry through and live for him. A baby church in a hard place. Paul is building them up. Now, here's a point that's going to interest you. I've already been through this study in my study preparing these sermons. Uh, more than any other books in the Bible, these two letters talk about the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ to get us. Uh, I'm already excited to preach that sermon. I'm ready. I got it ready. But it's, you got to wait a few weeks for it, but it's coming. The rapture of the church and when the Lord Jesus is going to take us home when will Jesus come and give his church relief you know this church in Thessalonica was under great stress always worried about persecution at their doorstep they lived in stress all day and so their question was 
when is God going to come and free us? When is Jesus going to come and claim us as his church? You know, from the first century to the 21st century, we've been looking for Jesus to come for us. Amen? From the very first century, I believe Paul wrote, and as he wrote, he said, he's coming for us. I believe that Paul believed that perhaps Jesus would come in his very generation. He wouldn't wait long at all, and yet we've waited over 2,000 years. We're still waiting. 2,000 years ago, Christians were anxious about when Jesus would return for his church, but he still tarried. And today, we're still anxiously awaiting as our culture gets more and more wicked. Do I hear an amen? As our culture gets more and more wicked, we're waiting for our Savior to return. But there's a reason that he's tarrying, and that is that you and I bring the lost to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Lord teaches us in Matthew 24 that we are to preach the gospel until the end comes. And so that means you and I, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be busy in the work of the gospel. That's what Paul taught this church at Thessalonica. And 2,000 years later, it is still true for us today. Be busy in the work of the gospel. And that's exactly what this letter is teaching us. You know, I, I read recently, as for 20 one centuries now we've waited for the coming of the Lord Jesus and and from the first century to today we've looked for signs for his coming I was reading just the other day about a sign that is coming that is uh, revealing itself uh, that may be an indicator that Jesus is on the doorstep it concerns the Euphrates River if you read back into Genesis and Genesis chapter 2 the, the creation of God, the creation of the Garden of Eden, the river Euphrates is listed in your Bible as one of the primary rivers of God as he created the earth, as he established Eden. But today, the river Euphrates is drying up. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, are these words, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. So today, people are seeing the great river Euphrates, who is, which has run on the earth ever since the creation of the earth. Today, it is drying up. In some places, it's 80% gone. Perhaps that's an indicator of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we look for signs, and we look for those symbols of his coming. So believers from the 1st to the 21st centuries are looking for Jesus' return. Now, I promise you this, in the biblical record, it is 100% true and a fact that he is coming. There's no doubt he is coming. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can gr gain great comfort in that. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would pray that you would get your house in order because he is coming. It could be 30 seconds from now, it could be years from now, but that's a promise of God's Word. He is coming, but we do not know when. We don't know when. We absolutely know that He is coming, but we don't know exactly when that coming is. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said, Only God the Father knows the moment. So it's really not for us to figure it out, but here's the directive. We don't know when, but we do know he is, and that means when he does come, be ready. Don't be lazy. Don't be in your lazy boy in ministry. 
You know, I, I pray that you and I, we will live our lives out to our last breath in some way ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ, being a prayer warrior for his church, giving our lives to him. So today, we're going to study the return of Christ in these days to come in First and Second Thessalonians. And I can tell you this, whenever he comes, it's going to be okay with me. All right, so you have some very important information that you need to know before we even open the book. Uh, you know the place of Thessalonica now? You know the face of Thessalonica, a persecuted, young, immature, green, growing church in the Lord Jesus Christ. With that, let's look at four verses today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear these words of Paul's great letter, his first letter to this young church at Thessalonica, verses 1 through 4. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Believe me, that's packed with so much theology, that's enough for this one single day. We are introduced here uh, to Paul writing to this church that he loves. You'll notice that he says, Silvanus and Timothy are with me in this letter. They're affirming this letter with me. But these four verses, the mission team of Paul and Silvanus and Timothy and probably others affirm that they're on the side of this little church in Thessalonica. Now, you'll do, you do notice that the word church is used here. In Greek, the word for church is ekklesia. Ecclesia, and it means the called out ones. We're called into salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he calls us out to be servants of his. We're called into salvation and out to service. And so the church are the called out ones, the ones who take the gospel and the love of Christ into the world and take it to those niches where it is most needed. We're the church, and we're to carry the love of Christ out into the world. Now here's a question of deep truth. Who calls us to salvation? And who calls us to go out into the world as the church? Well, verse 4 answers the question very well. Look at verse 4 again. Knowing, brethren beloved, so he's calling them, I love you, brothers and sisters. Knowing, brothers and sisters, your election of God. Now, some of your versions will put chosen in there, those who were chosen by God. My version has the word election. Whatever the word is, circle it. It's one of the most important words of your Bible, the word election, the word chosen. You know, especially as we're coming out of a baptism service today, there are those of us who have said, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me, forgive me, fulfill your plan in me, promise me a home in heaven. And that's the greatest and best and most eternal decision of your entire life. And so many of us say, we chose Jesus, but I have to tell you this. The more important thing is this. First of all, Jesus chose us. That's the doctrine of election, that God, even in our sin, 
elected and chose that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven, that we might belong to him. Yes, it's true, we have to come to that point that we receive him as our Savior, but first of all, he made the decision to accept us as his sons and daughters. And that decision to accept us was made long ago. Just write this reference down. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You don't have to turn there, but write it down. Here's what Paul says about when God elected to save us. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God chose to save you and God chose to save me before he said, let there be light. The doctrine of election began before creation began. God and his infinite wisdom and his infinite understanding and his knowledge elected to save you. Today, if you're listening by streaming, he elected, he chose to save you. He chose to give you and me and every person who comes to Jesus life eternal. Praise God for that. So the plan of God's election is enacted as God decides and elects to save us. But it's then set in stone when we say, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. I open my heart that you would come to live in me, that your spirit lives in me for all eternity. He bought that for us in election in that Jesus died on the cross, shed his own blood, laid down his own life, rose from his own grave, that we might have the opportunity to be elected by God to receive him as our Savior. Election. One of the most important words of your Bible. Make sure you circle it today. God wants every human being to hear that plan, to hear that invitation that you and I are elected to be saved. And that's a message not for America. It's not a message for one particular country of the world. It's not a message for one particular gender of people. It is not a message for one color of people. It's not a message for the rich or the poor. It's a message for every single person on earth. That's why we support missions. That's why we go in missions. We have a missionary sitting among us today. That's why we go in missions, because every person in the world needs to hear the invitation. You have been elected by God to come to me as Savior. What a great message we have to share. We share it with our community. We share it in our Jerusalem. We share it outside of this community, and we share it with the world. Praise God for that camera on the wall. We share it with the world. And millions of people need to hear that they can come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, God calls the collection of saved people, known as the church, to carry the message to the world. So, listen, as Paul opens this letter, we're going to study it now for the next several weeks. He's writing to a persecuted but very committed little church in the city of Thessalonica. And he says, may God's grace and peace fill you, church. May God's energy fill you. May God's courage fill you as you walk out into a city that sometimes wants to kill you. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. May God carry you as you minister for the church. You constantly and unceasingly give the gospel in your city. Paul knew the power of prayer. He said, I'm, par I'm praying for you. My team is praying for you. We can't be there. We've been run out of town, but we're praying. We're lifting you up to the strength of God. And he says, keep up your faith. 
keep up your walk. Be patient in your persecution. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the giver of hope. We're praying for you, church. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is in your church and in your life as individual Christians. So 1st and 2nd Thessalonians are written to build up a hurting church, a a persecuted young church. And these letters say so strongly to this little church in Thessalonica, keep up the work. Friends, I want you to know it applies to us today. We're living in a society that in many sections of our country wants to reject the good news of Jesus Christ, wants to reject the Word as the Word of God, wants to reject godly living, wants to reject how God teaches us to live. We walk into that culture. We're challenged as well. So these words are our words that we're to take the gospel into the world with courage, without compromise, and we're to live for that Savior just as these young Christians in Thessalonica were charged to do. This message is for us now, 20 centuries down the road. That we're the ones who walk out into a hard society, into a rejecting world, and we give the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray we get that message. That's our message today. As you walk out into the world this week, I promise you on the Word of God that He has already structured appointments with you and someone else. There's someone you're supposed to share the gospel with this week in some way in the way that you relate to them, in the way that you speak to them, in the way that you, perhaps you're their boss, perhaps you're the one who's leading underneath the boss. But in whatever situation God gives to you, He's made appointments for us this week. Be courageous, be strong, be steadfast, and give the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way He calls you to do that. Today, church, we are loved, and we are led by, and we are protected by God Almighty. That's his promise. We're led by him. We're protected. So keep going, church. It's the same message that this little church in Thessalonica needed to hear 20 centuries ago. Keep going, church. Stay strong, church. Stay on task, church. Don't get lazy, church. Don't be intimidated by the world, church. We're serving the king. We're serving the savior. Be strong in him. And we cannot let him down. Amen? This is a holy calling, a holy work. And we, the sons and daughters of God, lay down our lives to serve him and him alone. Rededicate your life, believer. I need to rededicate my life as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there's a strength in walking together as a church. I'm so sorry for people who say, I'm a believer, but I'm not a member of a church. We need each other. We need the strength of each other. We need each other at our backs. So I'm so grateful, church, I have you. And you have me. And as a church, we walk into the world to give the good news of Jesus. There's a reason we're the church. It's not just a social gathering. It's an army for missions. Never forget, it's an army And we have our walking orders from the general to take Jesus to the world. I pray we're true and faithful in that. Before I close this sermon today, if you've never been saved, if you've never been forgiven through Jesus Christ, please listen. If you're here in the house or you're listening by streaming today, 
somewhere in the United States of America or another country of the world. It doesn't matter. God has chosen to save you. God has chosen. He's elected to give you life through Jesus, his son. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to God the Father but by me. There's one way. I'm emphatic to tell you that, but he's elected to save you. If you will come to the Lord God through Jesus, his son, who went to the cross, laid down his life, and walked from the grave to give you forgiveness and life eternal, he's waiting for you to say, yes, Lord. I understand and I believe that you have chosen to save me. And now this day, this moment, I fall at the foot of your cross and the, the, the opening of your empty grave. Say, Lord, I need you as my Savior. I want your forgiveness. I want to be yours. I want to be your son or your daughter. And I want to live for you. And I want you, when the day is right, to take me home to live with you forever. I accept you as my Savior. Thank you that you first accepted me. Thank you that you first chose me. And today, I seal the promise by choosing to open my heart for you. If you've never done that here in the house or somewhere in the world, today is the day and this is the moment. This is not my invitation. Jesus just allows me to speak it. But it's his invitation to you to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Don't put it off. Don't wait till a better day. Don't wait until you're older. Don't wait until you think you're going to be better. Don't wait until you say, I need to be a Bible scholar. Do it today. Do it now. Make it right with him. He's waiting for you. And I remind you of the words of John 6, 37. Him or her that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come, he promises he will receive you. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us here. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for opening what I have come to find as a challenging book full of truth. And I look forward, Lord, to the Sundays that we're going to spend together to walk through it verse by verse. Bless us this day, Father, that we heed the words of a great missionary to a little young church in Thessalonica. These words are ours now. Stay strong, church. Carry the gospel, church. Don't compromise, church. Don't get lazy, church. Don't, don't get off on an ungodly lifestyle, church. Stay true to the word, church. Help us to hear it as believers. Believers united together as the ones called out to the world. Help us to take the gospel there. May we rededicate our lives to that. For that one who needs you as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, this is the moment. I pray I've been faithful to speak your invitation, Lord. It's not mine. Praise God it is yours. I pray one somewhere in this house or somewhere in the world will come to Jesus as Lord and Savior by your invitation. Bless us. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.